Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Hey, we, we mentioned in a, in a previous episode, um, you said something like, once you codify your mission statement, it's now dying. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And uh, ironically, I was just talking to an old colleague and and we were laughing because he's uh, his his company's going currently going through a you know uh, company values working group and they're they're trying to to get their like what are their their current values that they're they're they want to to codify so I'm curious if there's there's overlap there I imagine there is and I I know we've talked about values in the past but um, you know it's I don't know I I think it's hard today because it seems like every good business is supposed to have a clear mission statement and a clear value statement and these things. Um, and maybe I'm just not high up enough in the chain to see the, the value in those. But as a, as a low man on the totem pole here, it, it, it seems like there's, there's tends to be a gap uh, often. So I'm just, I'm curious if you can unpack that statement that you made about codifying the mission statement and uh, we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. Be happy to talk about codifying the mission statement. Is it codifying or codifying? Oh, it's, we'll have to re-record this whole thing. <laughs> I know, I'll well, defer to you. About, no, we're talking about COD. We're not talking about code. We're talking about COD. <laughs> How do you codify COD? Uh, <laughs> once again, we're doing this all for you, listeners. It's early this morning. <laughs> yeah, so they... Uh, <clears throat> Mission statements are odd. First of all, I, I always joke, they tell you how the home, which was the basic economic engine for societies up until the Industrial Revolution, you don't walk into a home and see a mission statement. And you don't see um, husband and wife sitting down and working through their values. That's why, that's why marriages and, uh, are falling apart, Mike. That's right. And getting them codified, codified, or whatever, ratified, <laughs> sanctified, and sanitized. So these are uh, often um, errands in the wilderness. They are. So we ought to talk about that. So the, um, the phrase, the letter kills, the spirit gives life, comes from uh, Romans. So that's the Apostle Paul. And. In effect, but I never thought about this past, so I might write this down. It goes back to creation and words, but you have the Spirit of God hovering over creation. Now, hover there has even um, images of um, the same images of the Spirit will come upon Mary. A virgin. Huh. And so what you have is, go ahead. I was just going to say that the the hovering imagery is what you're you're specifically referring. Yes, to. Yes, just you see in Genesis one two. Okay. Um. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over it, and the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. Now, few Christians whom I know give that much pause. But in fact, the imagery is suggestive of birth, giving birth out of the chaos. And it's even suggested in the imagery of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, which if, you, if people would actually ponder what they see rather than just get plow their way through, God is either wrapped, Michelangelo wraps God in what many believe is the image of a uterus. So once you have this imagery of birth, and I think that's, others say it's the brain. There's, that could be a classic example of, we're we talking about those who bias the right hemisphere or the left, but that's another <laughs> tough subject. We gotta get back to mission statement. <laughs> Don't but be off you, course here, Mike. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> but once, once, once we have this, um, um, once we begin to ponder what is going on in creation, what comes off is uh, you do have words, but these words are life-giving, creating giving, creating of all life, plant life, biological life, spiritual life. So the, the, the words, because they're infused, impregnated by the spirit, are alive. In fact, we read later on in Hebrews, as you well know, the words of God are living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Which should be another rabbit trail for another day in terms of when have you ever been part of a small group where the point is to ponder God's words until they judge your thoughts and intentions. But that's a rabbit trail for another day. <laughs> That's good though. That's interesting. So once we have this in place, then we come to what happens when words are not enlivened, is the best word, by the Spirit. Hence, Paul then writes that, for example, with the, uh, the Ten Commandments and the law, it is inherently good, as all words given by God are inherently good. But given the hardness of the heart of Israel, the moment that project was done of God speaking and carving those words onto stone, concretizing them, they were dying. And that is the myth of mission statements, is the most energy, the most enlivening comes generally when you are crafting the statement. 
but even that is fraught with problems. But leave that as it may for just a moment. It's enlivening because it is embodied by real people who are wrestling with, who are we? The risk in the mission statement is the risk of all language by human beings is that we can use words that have lost their meaningful, meaningful connection to reality. So we can come back to that in a moment. But at least when we said the letter kills, the spirit gives life, the letters are not inherently bad. They just simply have to be breathing. And it's the breathing exercises that don't happen in businesses. So once you've mm. got them done, so the two, two biggest problems are these. One, a lot of mission statements are cobbled by committee, which is an exercise in piling on of words. So generally, I, Lord knows I've gone through these enough. Um, and, and also, I mean, in the goodness of their hearts, it's more difficult in churches because you get Christians who believe in really getting passionate about this stuff. Once you're passionate, you don't have peripheral vision. And once you don't have per peripheral vision, then some will say, well, let's see, we're about making fully devoted followers of Christ going to, I am a city, city. Oh, yeah, going to the city. What about the country? Yeah, going to the country. Yeah, uh, going to the world. Yes, the nations. Yes, uh, okay. Uh, but by the Spirit. Yeah, okay. So what about we're holy, devoted, uh, fully devoted followers of Christ who are committed to, to reaching our city and the nation and the world through the power of Christ and the word, the word, the word. Don't forget. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, the word, the word, the word. Yeah, get the word. <laughs> <laughs> you end up with this. Here, here's a real live mission statement from a well-known company. We'll leave it out. From Gary Eucklesburg, Leadership and Organizations. We will create an empowered organization to unleash our creativity and focus our energies in a cooperative effort. It will enable us to build and, and um, develop and build the best vehicles in the world, vehicles that people will treasure only because they, can, they are fun to use, they are reliable, they keep people comfortable and safe, and they are, enable people to have the freedom of movement in their environment without harming it. Whoa. Now close your eyes right now and repeat that. I got nothing. That was uh, environment. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> wow. That's you a... sound like a guy at the end of a poker game. <laughs> I got nothing. That's, yes. that's a, a full little mini book. Wow. Yes, that's that's one end of this and the, uh, the spectrum of the, the continuum is um, that that's cobbled together by committee, and then the other side is one cobbled together by Madison Avenue, which is just as problematic because it's language that's divorced from reality. So many years ago, when I traveled quite a bit, piled up a lot of miles with. Um, United Airlines, which is why I have a very flat rear end from all that sitting. <laughs> Actually, it's just white man's disease. Uh, I always joke because their their deal was uh, fly the friendly skies. It was a, a very friendly and memorable mission statement, particularly memorable by how uh, irritable the flight attendants were on international flights. <laughs> Mostly because they had accrued so much um, seniority, but had gone through this uh, major, you know, uh, bankruptcy, of which they lost some of their pension, mm. which kind of give away that 
Well, are you in this to make this fly in the friendly skies? Yeah. Oh, no, man, I'm in this for my pension, and I just got screwed. Well, they didn't get screwed. 55% of their retirement folded into that federal um, uh, institution that exists that picks up retirement. So we now pay 55, taxpayers cover 55% of United Airlines pension uh, obligations. That's how they came out of bankruptcy. Mm. Don't be surprised, listener, you're carrying the pensions for a whole lot of businesses and enterprises but give that give as a may um you so you end up with these uh yeah um these things that are just unleash our creativity we are an empowered organization what that it's, it reminds us of vince lombardi let's say it again his first year when i think it was game against the lions recorded for nfl films what the hell is going on out here? <laughs> so it means well, but these are even churches have sta have statements that are just loaded up with what Walker Percy, God bless him, he said our language has been worn smooth like an old poker chip. And we use these things, gospel, um, transformation, um, flourishing, uh, reaching the city. And there is no imagery that comes to mind. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And that was Wigenstein's, who is almost impossible to understand, but that was Wigenstein's most powerful epiphany so to say many years ago when he wrote that book because he was asking the question why do we have words and what he what he wrote nothing original here but he said because they come from images and they depict what we imagine well heavens to betsley aristotle said that years ago the soul never thinks without a picture so when you hear things like unleash our creativity if it's going to make any sense at all, it does emanate from something in your imagination. The problem is if you're in a company of 20 or 40 or 400, it unleashes 400 different ways we imagine that. Yeah. Wow. But you, so you said there is value in uh, you know, the, the breathing piece of that. That's what actually keeps it alive from not dying on the uh, the plaque you have on the wall. Hmm. So in, in other words, you know, putting putting the statement together is actually not a bad thing, um, but there are a lot of risks involved in terms of actually picking, maybe picking the wrong words or using words that are disconnected from reality and, and being blind to that, but- That's the better one. Yeah. It's um, not picking the right words or wrong words. It's It's connecting to reality. That's right. Yeah. And, and so with that, let's say you, you actually do get a statement that, that has some, uh, you know, Im imagery attached to it. it. It does connect to reality. Even then, uh, it's, it's, it's dying. How do you, how do you keep that alive? You're saying that there are, yes. there are always to do that. Yeah. It's, it's relatively simple. Um, <clears throat> 
So uh, some of the most uh, the most enjoyable times I've had in my work, I've probably done this for 50, 60, maybe 100 different <clears throat> businesses and churches and what have you. So perhaps the most gratifying uh, experiences I've had in the work I've done, and I think I've probably done this now that I think about it, probably over with 100 businesses or churches, is drawing exercises. And it could be as simple as you give everyone in your company, we'll take your company, say your leadership is doing something like this. You give them all a big drawing pad, some big colored marker pens, and say, everybody go in a separate room. You have five minutes. Draw what you imagine when you hear unleash our creativity. Huh. So Overwhelmingly, yeah. when they come back in the room and you use the big post-up pads, you can you know, attach them to the, wind, uh, the wall so everybody can see them simultaneously. What's the biggest impression? Almost always what happens. They're all different. Yeah, there's wild variations. So, wow, uh, that's that makes sense. You, we've we've talked about drawing exercises before, and it's it's cool to hear different kind of facets of that because now it's it's coming together more for me. So that's that's really helpful. Well, oh, it's, yeah, it, I am I appreciate that because um, so I was in a meeting yesterday with two clergy and these, these are good guys and one is roughly my age and we're talking and he says you're not going to make us go through some of those drawing exercises again are you <laughs> <laughs> he's a good soul he's a good sport uh, it's not just it's, another one <laughs> yeah they're it's odd is why they're, they're odd in a society that biases the left hemisphere right there's a they, a society that biases the left is unduly optimistic that if we could just agree on the words, we will assume we're all imagining the same thing. And C.S. Lewis, God bless him, he said the most basic part of a human being is their imaginative capacity, not their language. You're going to operate out of how you imagine this ought to be not the and so here's a classic example would be here's what the here's the language let the marriage bed be undefiled Ooh. that's the language it's fairly clear and here's how people uh Here's how a uh, big percentage of men I've met and counseled over the years who do desire to love Jesus. They really mean well. Men and women. They're deep into porn, massage parlors, even some affairs. That means those letters have died. In, in that situation, is that is that because they're imagining it differently? Yeah. Or... Well, they know. No, they no, not that they imagine differently. That's a good question. I was wrong. It's not that they imagine differently. They don't imagine anything. Mm. It's lost. It's uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It lost its meaningful connection yeah. to reality. 
it's why uh, I was just with a group of people yesterday morning and we said, now imagine this, this comes from Proverbs. The adulteress is perhaps you meet her at a local pub and um, this is all the, almost a scene out of Fatal Attraction, but uh, which I know dates me, but get over it, people. Uh, and uh, then the next thing you know, you're talking, laughing, and sharing, drinking. The next thing you know, why don't you come on back? You know, I'm out of town here. I've got a hotel, and we'll just we'll just talk. And the next thing you know, you're in bed. And what the the imagery in the proverb is. And as the, you reach climax, you see the bedposts are sunk in Sheol. And you go, oh my God. Now, there aren't enough people, Christians today, who imagine that. And so those words have lost a meaningful connection path. And the point is, once you are heading toward um, whatever you're heading to toward that is off the ancient path is because you imagine there's something gratifying coming my way if I go this way. And there's, there's, they don't imagine anything gratifying in monogamous, faithful marriage. Or the gratification, rather, is not as gratifying. It's less right. gratifying. Yeah. yeah, you get it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, it, it goes back to the, uh, just the idea of, of pondering. And, um, I'm, I'm reminded of a book it's called on reading well, and mm. the, the author, <laughs> yeah, she, she walks through several, uh, books of, of literature and, and really just digs into, uh, what you can see through those and how do you read, uh, uh, obviously how to read well, but how she defines well is, um, you know, all these different strings you can pull from, from literature. And, and one of the things I really enjoyed that she says is, uh, she talks about with, particularly with the reading, you can almost live out the life, the feelings, the emotions of someone else without actually doing the things of that, that person. And, and I think that's the proverb is a good example where you can almost almost uh, live out that experience. If you, if you ponder upon it, if you, if you sit mm -hmm. and meditate and take it and chew on it, you know, I, I just I wonder if that helps train your brain mm -hmm. to, to begin to, to sense that feeling. You know, when you do meet that person, suddenly you, it's almost like you remembered when you made this mistake the last time. You didn't mm -hmm. actually make the mistake, but because you, you chewed on God's word a little bit there. You, you do sense that that feeling and and I thought I thought it was cool in this book because she talks specifically about literature as opposed to movies when you watch a movie the imagine the imagining is done for you yeah you see it all on a screen your brain doesn't have to go through that exercise of creating the world around you and I was that just it's it really spoke to me there how powerful that is to read and let your brain develop the imagination uh, so I, I just thought it, it connected really well to what you just said. Who wrote the book? Who is the author? Do you remember? I think it's Karen Swallow Pryor. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's right. That's, uh, hey, listeners, that's that was gold that just gave you. So you better uh, 
take it and invest it. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't stuff in your barn, invest it. Um, I, I smiled because I said, you know what the book we write today, reading good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Really? What kind of charitable work are you doing right now? <laughs> well, you, you mentioned, so for the breathing piece of that, like yeah. that to me helps expose that everyone sees this differently. Everyone's imagining it differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into then what, but, but there sure. is a sense of reconciliation. How do you, how do you, what do you do at that point? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, so first of all, we, I would recommend urge, uh, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, as a listener, if you have a small operations unit in your business or you run, you head up a church. Be happy to show you how you do this. We, I just did this for our leadership team of, of a local church and um, drawing exercises. Reason why, again, you might end up with a mission statement with 10 words, but a picture is worth a thousand, a thousand words. <laughs> it's actually been shown exactly. It does, it's not worth 999, it's not worth a thousand and one. It's actually worth exactly, exactly. 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's what gives life to the words. Cause the imagination, you said something that it was so, it was so good. It, it's the imagination. That's what's the breathing part of us. It's again, reel it back to marriage as the portal into the gospel. I can say to Kathy, I love you. And that if that's coming out of a heart, then it will be, it will exude, it's alive. If I go, yeah, I love you, it's wrote. It can, denote, it can denote my head's either way over where or somewhere else, or um, I'm, I'm really not, I'm just, I'm, it, it's just words I'm spewing out. Mm. And um, so picture drawing gets you there better than any other way that I'm aware of because it will first and foremost, if done well, it will expose major fissures between how organizational leaders imagine the words. And the imagination is where our loves reside and if I imagine, gosh, if I just win this lottery, life will be good. I'll be set. Then as Augustine said, our loves are our weight. Wherever they take us, we follow. Now, having said that, the better way to keep those alive is A, by picture drawing, and B, by storytelling. Mm. Hmm. Now, not storytelling the way it's often said today. And I love Alan Jacobs. Uh, uh, he said Wheaton College. Can't think of the book or the interview, but he, had make a great, he made a great point where he said, um, because there are such things as good books and bad books. Uh, and not so good books and so on and so forth and everything in between. And as he pointed out, he goes, it's the same as stories. He goes, 
when someone says, you know, everybody's got a story to tell, he goes, that's not true. There's some stories that are not worth telling. Mm. They're bad stories. And um, some bad stories are worth reading simply to go, oh, I understand now, horror, which is a kissing cousin to holy. It gives you a sense of, you don't mess with this stuff. But generally, there's a lot of stories that are just, they're flaky, for example. Those are not worth retelling. They're not worth filling the universe with all the verbiage and the words and the grammar and the language that comes with a flaky story. A better way to do it, and I actually learned this from a, uh, from a study years ago, is called the NUN study, N-U-N, the NUN study. Any of you want to... Um, and it was, uh, it was a study that began by, uh, by Dr. David Snowden. He's an, uh, a doctor. And they came upon uh, the sisters, the school sisters of Notre Dame of Mankato, Wisconsin. And it turns out that these sisters, when they entered the uh, convent, they had to write a story. And so they had the records of 678 nuns. Now, the reason this was an important study through the years they had these uh, um, and the participants uh, were ranging from age from 75 to 104 and what they found is this was a unique setup of a a lot of a controlled environment for example the same diet same regimen same daily you get it and they looked at the stories and what they found was the stories that started with i was born in Mankato in 1902, those women tended to show signs of brain deterioration or Alzheimer's earlier than women who wrote their biographies in an imaginative way. It could have been, it was a cold, snowy, wintry night and the doctor trudged through three miles of snow to come to our home. Well, that's fascinating. Oh, it's just... Now, they did find, by the way... Um, uh, well, no, that, that was... They, they turned out... There were other correlations. They looked carefully at the diet. Those, for example, who uh, ate more pink grapefruit or tomatoes and watermelon than those who didn't also tended to ward off Alzheimer's. Those who exercised a little more um, than those who didn't. Those who uh, tended to be more hopeful. Um, so they tried to bring in all these uh, continuums, but the biggest one was how they told their story. Oh, that was the biggest? That was the biggest contributor, they felt. Wow, wow. And so the stories also have to be imaginative. Now, this realist all the way in to corporate America with this left brain bias listener right now, <laughs> mostly male or a woman with a very deep voice. Going, <laughs> Let's get practical. That's right, Mike. Come on. Come, Come on. on. <laughs> so here's the practical is once you have a picture, have everybody go off and write a five, take five, 10 minutes and write a story and then come back and listen to them. The overwhelming majority 
of people will write a didactic, stat-filled, very uninspiring story. Uh, a company I'm familiar with, their story was of what happens when you hear an argument in the other hallway in, uh, in the environment where they work. It was in the assisted living industry. And, uh, and you come around and you come upon these, this situation, what do you do? Mm. Southwest Airlines does this at least years ago and they would tell the story. You have a, you have a sort of a quarrel developing between a flight attendant and a customer. What do you do? In Southwest case, the attendant is always right. Oh, wow. You invite chaos otherwise. Yeah. You have a, you have, actually have a breakdown of a mini society inside a big aluminum tube or whatever the planes are made of these days. Right. And so the nun study is fascinating because, um, you know, actually who is good at this was, um, Charles Schultz, when uh, Howard Schultz, rather, when he was um, head of Starbucks, because he was known for um, telling the stories in ways that were just, um, they were memorable. I mean, the one that really stands out to me is he was asked about, you know, what they're doing in coffee. And he says, oh, you misunderstand. We're not about filling stomachs. We're about filling souls. Uh, yeah. Now, what that means is they did remember they had that famous shutdown um, a couple of years ago because they, and this is, I, I grant you, it's very difficult to do. That's why the enlivening process, has, it takes enormous amounts of work in an organization. But they just felt like, you know, we're becoming, you know, becoming so much baristas, you're becoming like you, you're cranking the stuff out. And there's been nice some slippage in quality but just in, in um, eye contact, so on and so forth. You know, in this regards, Chick-fil-A does a really, really good job in these areas. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I'll guarantee you, they have to work hard all the time to continually, think about it this way, Pat, it's a lot like uh, the either the soil in your backyard that you have to aerate annually, or the farmer who has to break up the crusty soil to plant the seeds. You have to continually you know, revisit this and aerate it. And the best exercise on this is uh, what a story what it would look like. Um, and so for churches, um, I won't bring up any of them with the local statements, but their local mission statements. Some are rather lengthy and they put them on big walls thinking when people come in, they'll look at them and go, yeah, yeah, which is they don't know. That thing is mostly dead on the wall um, because you, it's a lot like, um, hey, honey, did you see that yield sign you just drove right by and the people on the curb? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that yield sign means something. Uh, not to me. It's lost its meaningful connection to reality. You, you just don't see those. But, but, so by thinking, by putting them on big bold letters, by putting them in the bulletin, by putting them on the PowerPoint, uh, up on the screen, 
even um, repeating them every week is not helpful. The, you know, the most helpful way. Well, well, I'll take one as an example because a good friend of mine. So their mission is uh, expand the circle, which actually is a root and tootin' good one. Mm. But if they wanted to keep that alive, so the letter doesn't kill. Every week you'd hear a story of the circle expanding. Yeah, that's this is good. This is this is actually really helpful because some of these dots I think are connecting. I, that's I, good because most of these podcasts, when we're off the air, you go, Mike. That was a waste. Of that time. was a waste of time. <laughs> I can hard, I can barely stand to do these things anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded when I would I would walk in to the building at my old company. I know going to the office it's crazy, right? Um, no, when I would when I would go in and I would see that we just had words on the walls uh, for different elements of the mission or the values they would post on the walls. And I think w what you're saying is when you go through the exercises to kind of drum up what what are those words what are the values what what's the mission statement you you are just by default even if even if you're using words and you're coming together everyone there is using their imagination for what what they they think these these words at the end of the day mean and so when those involved see those words it probably triggers for them like memories of oh yes that's what that means you know they know the meaning that's so the, the words serve as a reminder, which interestingly I'm thinking of, of even, you know, scripturally the law and that they serve as a reminder for what the, the original meaning is, you know, what the original vision or the, the imaginative, what, what we ought to imagine is. But those who were not involved, as you said, uh, in, in whatever that planning or strategy, whatever that, that thing was that created the words, those words don't have the same connection to the meaning that was part of the formation. That's right. And, and so they don't serve as, as a reminder that like, I don't have that cue, but by doing continual repeated, whether they be drawings or reminders, I mean, of, or stories. Now those words actually have life because they go back. They trigger back that response of, Oh yeah, I remember that story that so-and-so told that's, that's what this word means. I remember that picture that so-and-so drew. That's what this word means. So, so the words now have life because they, they are, are those reminders of what the, the truer meaning, the imaginative meaning was. Is that That's on it. point? Yes. Many years ago, uh, um, a company that I traveled to uh, regularly was, so we would do these exercises because there was a company then of about 350. And I think on average, it, um, 35 we would take through a full day and it was these drawing exercises but it was all to give life to the fact that there was a at that time you know there was a purpose statement and so on and so forth uh which by the way became over time restoring avada was pretty fascinating no story for another time but there was the uh, it was the drawing exercises and what have you it was participatory so again if you're a church of 350 you can do the same thing. You can be strategic and say, we're going to have, um, or even if there's a catechismal uh, approach before um, joining, 
It could be drawing exercises, but in that way pad, what you do is you, you revisit the original drawing group. Uh, that has to be done by a skilled facilitator because uh, you can uh, you can be directional in the drawing, um, and and that way people come away with their own drawings, but the drawings are aligned with the organizational drawings, and I'll tell you what it's those drawings more than the mission statement, because they'll understand if you're saying, um, you know, gospel for example, is you because you're part of this group. Pat. We're taking a beta group from um, around the country and a few people from around the world. There are Christians who want to recover the enchanted background. And you're, you're drawing the same sort of imagery that you would find in uh, pre-enlightenment cathedrals and faith traditions and even ancient societies. And in those images, because you're drawing them on your own pad, but they align with ancient images, you're going to remember those drawings. But I'd be hard pressed to remember the mission statement of hardly any church I've ever been a part of, just yeah. at this moment. Um, so it, there, it, it, ethnologists say that that uh, cultures are transmitted by stories. The the challenge in any body could be a family, could be a uh, church, could be a business. Is the stories can be, uh, there ought to be a lot of stories, but they all reflect the central purpose for why we, why we exist. And that is rare. I mean, a painful example for me was uh, toward the end of his life. Uh, my father, God bless him, but my mother, and they would say things like, but we're a family. And as I had come to faith and then grown in my faith and understood better from the richness of Christian tradition and church, what constitutes a family, I would almost come to tears uh, because we weren't a family. Hmm. Now, that doesn't make me smarter than them. You get it. That's not the sure. point. The point, oh, okay. the point is, it's a, a lament. Yeah. But I lament it in most churches I go to. I, I lament it in most organizations. Uh, and it's why if you really do, honest to God, picture drawing, a lot of pictures in a lot of people's minds are, yeah, for example, Say, so here's, here's a picture I want you to draw. What would you do if you won $5 million in the lottery? Then you discover what's the gravitational pull in a lot of people's. And no surprise, what do most people draw? I don't know, a house or something. They'd stop working. Mm. Mm. Oh, wow. Very... You know, at one point, Andrew Kimball said, studies show, this was 20 years ago, 88% of people didn't really enjoy their work. Now, it's still over 50%. And with this K-shaped recession, this recovery, rather, K-shaped, imagine the letter K, yeah. you know, the 10, 15% really have shot up, and the rest have shot down. And um, they don't go to work, and for example, it could be a company XYZ, and they don't go to work, and they say, Man, I am I am just freaking unleashing my creativity today. Yeah. 
that's called branding at its worst. It's, um, I mean, one of the, uh, I think one of the pathetic, frankly, pathetic example, and it, and how he was dishonest is uh, Adam Newman has started WeWork, and there, his uh, mission statement was to raise um, the consciousness of the world. Whoa. Yeah, if you've been following what's been happening, uh, once they got ready to go public, it turned out uh, there was a whole lot of over-leveraged stuff. He had, he had bought up properties willy-nilly, and um, that also made himself the governing, uh, uh, controlling uh, vote on the board. It was paid an exorbitant salary. They have invested, uh, to date, $11 billion on what's a company that's now worth seven. But read, just Google what he has um, twisted the arms of the uh, those who bought out or trying to take the public company public. You know, he was let go, but they wasn't let go. He got a he got a parachute big enough you could land a semi truck with it, not even barely touching the ground. Um, and uh, that's raising the consciousness. Hmm. That's showing. I'm grabbing all I can on the way out. So they yeah. sold a $65 million jet they bought for his personal use. They, uh, but these are, these stories are legendary. Uh, Jack Welsh, uh, who becomes a sort of a guru for uh, mentoring young CEOs, but he was a mess. He was he, This is what the Bible actually calls greed. And so any, any mission statement, GE, bringing good things to light used to be theirs. Well, what they didn't bring to light was his apartments, his mistresses, and his greed. So if you work at, yeah, I've got some friends that work at GE, and, um, you know, unless you toward the very top and reap a lot of uh, um, um, financial reward from this, there's a whole lot of other people that just, if they learned all this stuff was brought to light, this is why Marx wrote what he wrote. Now, I don't think it's going to happen, but Marx said the workers are eventually going to rise up and go, we're going to tear this thing down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of many stories that have come up over the years where I've been at a company and it's the, the values become laughable because of the the stories of the ceo or exactly leadership yeah that's so just read what's happened in the pandemic uh the um the, it's easy to google stats folks are actually i think i wrote about it last week is um that's how forgettable what i write really is it's, it's uh but the, they talk about the the salaries for most on in the median raise during the pandemic was 15 percent but uh, 206 out of 342 top CEOs had exorbitant um, bumps in their salary. Yeah. And you just go, uh, compensation package would be the better way to put it. And so, yes, you're right. I think that, um, you know, years ago, Bill Pullman was rather famous. He, I think he's an atheist. And he sort of wrote anti-imaginative literature, anti-Christian. So his, he's famous for his book, uh, His Dark Materials. But he was right at this point. He just said, um, he was talking about stories. He goes, 
Thou shalt not might reach the head, but it takes once upon a time to reach the heart. And I think there's something to that, that um, so we are, we will unleash the positive creativity of blah, blah, blah. That can reach the head. But once upon a time, he says, he's essentially saying that grabs your imagination. And if, if you grab the imagination and what, what Starburst tried to do, I, I'm not familiar with what, how they, how they, what they're doing today, but their, their Bible used to be, um, uh, what's his name's book? Uh, the good, the great good place. Um, mm. Oldenburg, I think is the name, but uh, it's talks about, it's the, it's a really a fabulous book. It's the study of, um, pubs and beer halls and coffee shops in Milwaukee, uh, how they disappeared over the 20th century. But when they came in um, with the original immigrants, you don't have high, inc high incidence of, of um, alcoholism, what have you. They were a third place. So the first place where you had community and friends was family. The second was in your work because you were in companies rather than corporations. Company, been to Panera, bread. Co, bread is breaking bread together. So companies would eat together, be together. Um, the original idea of a company. So that was your second place you have community, but, he's, but his study shows that we actually flourish if we have a third place. And the third place was the, uh, from my uncle Jack and my grandpa in Flint, Michigan, was the walk home from the butcher shop to the pub and they would have a uh, black and tan with a beer chaser. So even though as a young boy, we lad in Flint, Michigan, I remember holding their hands. I didn't know what a black and tan was. I didn't know what a beer was, but um, and I just wasn't paying attention. I just I can remember the little bars and what have you. But it was where you just it was what the story uh, the TV series Cheers was like. It was just. Pssst. And it wasn't until one Christmas when I, he unwrapped his Christmas present, Uncle Jack did, same present every year, a big, uh, I believe, black container of whiskey. So this big old bottle of whiskey, and he smiles. And, and I go, ah, so you take a shot of whiskey and have a beer chaser, got it. It was that, he wasn't going to get drunk. It was just, they sat around the bar, and they swapped stories and jokes. And so Oldenburg's claim in his book, The Great Good Place, is everyone needs a third place where you fraternize, where you laugh, you have a drink, um, you tell stories. And those had disappeared. So his point was, <clears throat> when he wrote this book many years ago, was the reemergence that began to take place with um, <clears throat> uh, small coffee shops. And Starbucks picked that up. And their, so their mission at one time was you know, creating the, th the third place. Huh. If you breathe life into it, like I just did, it actually is compelling. But if you don't breathe life into it, it, it can become yeah. what? Yeah. It'll be wild to see how Starbucks continues that post-pandemic. Because I know now you go in one and it's empty because everyone's doing their pickup orders. But... But the other one in Annapolis is back open Good. on Main, Main Street. Well, so you said a couple of things 
that I, I was just taking notes of mentally. One was the importance of uh, having the those who, who drew the images originally. Um, when you're doing those drawing exercises, that there's alignment with those. Because obviously that's the, the original drawers are some of those who, who kind of formed the, the mission or the values, etc. Um, so I imagine like in my mind, there's a, there's just the question of how do you do that? But I imagine that's where a skillful, and I think you even said this, but like a skillful, uh, individual leading through that. There's just a skill to that. That's not something that you can just, just do. There's a skill to develop there. It's where, where you excel. So that makes sense. Um, yes, you, you can nudge the direction of the drawings by skillfully setting up framing without giving away the whole game. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece was, I, I just, I think worth noting in, in my mind, what I, what I walked away from differently in this conversation, which has been helpful for me is when I've walked through the halls in the past and I've seen the writing on the walls, the values, the whatever they tend to be, I've almost been a little cynical, you know, like that doesn't work or that that's just silly nonsense. That's disconnected from reality. But I think this helped correct the way I view that. Because it's not that those don't work; they don't work by themselves. That's it. That, I think yeah, um, it's missing right. something. It's not wrong. It's just missing something. Yep. I often joke the uh, only type of person Jesus can't save is a cynic. <laughs> oh, a no. cynic, Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde said it well. A cynic knows the cost of everything, the value of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So this um, is this is really helpful. Good. By the way, the uh, this was uh, this became painfully clear after the 1992 United States Naval Academy uh, cheating scandal on uh, the electrical engineering exam, which is really the gauntlet. Because on the walls all through the academy are exactly what you said. You see words honor, duty, loyalty, and then they all broke the uh, a great majority, a pretty significant number of mids broke the honor code. Well, it, I taught briefly ethics at the academy, part of an ethics course, to be quite clear, not the entire course. But I arranged it through picture drawing, and I had mates come up, and I'll never forget one coming up and saying, um, and they're very polite. They say, Dr. Metzger, sir. And I'll never forget this one saying, I'm a Christian. And this has been very helpful because this drawing because I've never lied more in my life than when I came here to the Academy. Now the Academy doesn't foster that. That's not my point. I'm not picking on the United States Naval Academy, sure. but he said, my drawing exercise is this. I'm past halfway in the Academy. I can't funk out. They would know why listeners, you know, why, Pat, uh, I'm assuming that he's just, becomes a an average Joe sailor no it's a, it has to do with academy uh, education costs somewhere north of uh, taxpayers cost us somewhere north of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars the end wow. of year two as you head into your third year you sign on you're in you're going to complete it right if you don't if you get booted your parents get a bill really wow that so as he put it, know. he said, I've slept with girls, which breaks the honor code. I've cheated. It's a Christian. 
And he was very repentant. He was very sorrowful, but he said, but I, I can't tell. I would be drummed out. My parents would get a bill for somewhere close to like $150,000. That can't happen. So he recognized, he's the one to point out, he goes, look out here on the wall. And I went, wow, honor, duty, loyalty. I said, I get it. I didn't judge him. I just said, I get it. These were words that are so good that had died because of how you imagine, and in your imagination, you cannot afford, your parents cannot afford financially to have you screw up and kicked out. You will be a pariah in your family for many, many years as the government establishes a repayment schedule for you, for your parents, or for you, or however you worked that out with mom and dad. That's not a conversation you want to have with mom and dad who have been waiting four years with bated breath to come to Annapolis for a week of commissioning, week festivities, renting a giant home, having all the aunts and uncles and grandparents in, celebrating little Mikey and how he's grown into a man. And now they get a letter informing him, Mike is coming home. He's been booted out and you owe the federal government this much money. This is why the letter kills the spirit gives life and why picture drawing and continually returning to the pictures and having workshops for your entire organization or for subsets over and over and over revisiting the pictures, less the mission statement. 